Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. Two scripture lessons are there in your bulletin or there on the screen uh, as we begin today to talk a little bit more about uh, Jesus, as you've heard in both this children's time and in all of the songs this morning, uh, working with the Apostles' Creed and now today beginning to give a little bit more attention to the Jesus material. So we'll begin with Romans 10, 5 through 13, and then we'll look at the Gospel of John 5, 19 through 29. If you have your own Bible, certainly you can turn there or you can follow along in the bulletin or on the screen. So hear these words of scripture. Moses writes concerning the righteousness that comes from the law that the person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes through faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you on your lips and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. One believes with the heart and so is justified and confesses with the mouth and so is saved. Scripture says no one who believes in him will be put to shame. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. From the Gospel according to John in chapter 5 beginning in verse 19. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing on his own but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. The Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and he will show him greater works than these, so that you will be astonished. Indeed, just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whomever he wishes. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come under judgment, but is passed from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, the hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, so he is granted to the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not be astonished at this, for the hour is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, we give thanks for, our oppor- for the opportunity to be together today, to be together in worship fellowship to be together gathered around your holy words and so God we pray as we read these words of scripture as we meditate on them that they would speak to us that they would speak through the power of your spirit revealing once again your message your love your light your life to us these things in Christ's name we pray amen hey guys in the back my uh, clicker is a little bit delayed today um, I think maybe that's batteries are just going dead. I'm going to continue to use it, but if it, but if it doesn't work and you see me doing this, then that means to go to the next slide. All right, very good. All right, so I'll begin today by just reminding you, just proclaiming to you, just telling you uh, the kind of theme for today is that uh, Christianity, uh, Christianity, the faith that we practice as Christians, Christianity is not just another ism, not just another ism. There are lots of isms in the world, Buddhism, Hinduism, Marxism, communism, 
capitalism. These are all uh, ways to think about the world and ways to think about our living in the world and our responsibilities to one another, our commitments to ourselves. But that's not exactly how Christianity works. Christianity is not just another theory among many. Uh, Christianity is our unique commitment to a single person, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And so of all the religions, all the perspectives, all the ways of being in the world, many of them bring uh, great gifts and resources to our life and to the life of the world. Christianity, in some ways, stands out, and this is the most important, that we follow and worship a particular person whose name was Jesus. We're working here in the season of Lent with these themes from the Apostles' Creed. And so if you're not familiar with the Apostles' Creed, if that doesn't mean a lot to you, then that is a, a traditional creed from the church's history dating back to the 100s. It is our oldest and our most simple confession of faith. These are the most basic doctrines that Christians believe. And so it's printed there on the front of your bulletin, kind of our theme for Lent. It's also printed inside your bulletin, and we will share in the creed as we conclude the sermon. The last couple of weeks, we've been kind of working with the creed, just going word by word, line by line, and we're going to continue that for the next few weeks. Of course, we're not preaching the creed only. We're preaching the scriptures that come with it, but, but thinking about these key themes. And so the creed begins, as you can see there in your bulletin, or you can uh, maybe perhaps have it memorized yourself. I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. And so those phrases, believe, God, Father, Creator, uh, those phrases are important to us as Christians, but they may not be entirely unique, right? There are a lot of people who believe in a God, uh, a Father-like God, or certainly a, a God with creative power, right? So that first line of the creed is, is unique, but, but not distinctive entirely of Christianity, right? There are other people who might believe that as well. Uh, but today, we're going to continue on with those next few lines, those next few words, those next few phrases, and we're going to get much more specific about what it is to be a Christian and specifically what it means to worship and to follow Jesus, right? And so you can keep the creed there in front of you. Uh, these sermons here in Lent are meant to be a little bit more of a teaching style, and so I've got some slides. I'm going to talk, kind of talk about what, what some of the themes are, and you might want to write down a few notes, uh, and then we'll try to kind of wrap it up all together uh, there at the end. All right. So the first thing we say about uh, Jesus Christ, of course, uh, is his name, Jesus. All right. So the creed says we believe in God, the father, creator of heaven and earth, and we believe in Jesus. Jesus. Right. Jesus. Now, Jesus Christ, you may think, is his first and last name. Right. That Jesus was who he was born to and Christ was his family that he came from. Uh, but that's not exactly right. OK. It's really a title. We believe in Jesus who was the Christ, who was the Christ. And so when we say Jesus Christ, we're actually saying a lot more than just his name, right? We're saying a lot more than just his name. I'll remind you, these are some, some lessons you probably got in Sunday school and children's Sunday school and youth Sunday school. But I'll remind you that when we say Jesus Christ, what we're saying is this. We're saying Jesus, which is the Hebrew name that was given to Jesus, which comes from the Hebrew language, which means God saves, God saves. And so Jesus is from the same root as Joshua, Yahshua, Yeshua, and so it means God saves. And then Christ is the Greek word that is the, the translation of the Hebrew word that came before it for Messiah. Uh, and so the Messiah means the anointed one or the Savior. Right? So when we say that we believe in Jesus Christ, what we're really saying is not just that we believe that Jesus existed. We're not just talking about a historical figure. We're really saying this whole sentence. 
I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe God saves through this anointed Messiah whose name is Jesus. Jesus Christ, God saves through this anointed Messiah. And so when we confess that in the creed or we confess that in our tradition, we're saying quite a bit there, right? Jesus, God saves, Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, right? So I believe in Jesus Christ. That's the beginning phrase that comes in the next part of the creed. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that God saves through a Messiah. The next thing that the creed says, and if you've got it there in front of you, it says that I believe in Jesus Christ who is God's only son, Jesus Christ, who is God's only Son. So as we work our way through the creed, we're getting much more specific about what we believe and about who Jesus is. And if you look at the creed, we get that introductory little line about God the Father and Creator, and then we get some things about the Holy Spirit and the church at the end. But most of the creed is about Jesus and about what it is to to mean to, to worship and follow Jesus. And so we get these little phrases, I believe in Jesus Christ, who is God's only Son. Today we read, and there it is in your bulletin if you want to look back on it, we read from John chapter 5. And John chapter 5 is just one of the places, it's not the only one, but it's one of the places in the New Testament that tries to get very clear uh, about who Jesus is in relation to God the Father. And so as we were reading from John chapter 5 this morning, just a few moments ago, you, you should have heard these phrases. The Son can do nothing on His own, but only what the Father is doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. The Father loves the Son, and the Son shows Himself in all that He is doing to the Father. The Father judges no one except those whom the Son has set in judgment. The Father gives life, and so also the Son gives life to whomever He wishes. Now, in classic Christian teaching, we will try to be very clear, particularly when we're talking to our compromands or to new believers, that the Father and the Son are not the same thing. We're talking about two different persons within God's identity. But notice that the Scripture is trying to be especially clear that they have a sort of parallel identity and will and purpose, right? That there's nothing that's happening in Jesus, who is the Son of God. There's nothing that's happening in Jesus that's not also happening in the Father, That Jesus is revealing the work of the Father, is doing the work of the Father. And so they go, in terms of their ministry and their work in the world, they go hand in hand. Whatever the Father does, the Son does. Whatever the Son does, the Father honors. And so they work together hand in hand. One thing we will say about the Son, and, and we try to be particularly clear about this, when we say the Son of God... Uh, Some people might hear that as as a lesser version of God, as a reduced version of God, as a miniature version of God. And the creed is trying to help us. John chapter 5 is trying to help us. That is not what we mean when we say the Son of God. When we say the Son of God, we mean God fully revealed. The full work and life and character of God revealed in and through the Son. In and through the Son. And so if you think about God, three in one, Holy Trinity, Jesus is the Son part of God. The Son part of God. Right? Not a reduced version of God, not a lesser version of God. Jesus is fully who God is. Now in the Old Testament, one of the most important themes from the Old Testament scriptures, and this comes right from the, the very first commandment, right? One of the most important themes in the Old Testament is that God alone saves, 
right? Israel is often looking to other gods or to other uh, traditions, trying to find some help, trying to find a savior. And so the Old Testament teaches over and over again, it's God alone. It's the God of Israel who saves, and therefore you should worship God alone. You should have no other gods before me. This is the first commandment, right? And then the New Testament comes along, and the New Testament tells the stories of Jesus and the Gospels. Paul works out some theology of Jesus in his letters. And the New Testament concludes that that Jesus saves. That Jesus, by his life and death, his ministry, his resurrection, that Jesus saves not only the people of Israel, but Jesus saves anyone and everyone. So if you think about those two together, right, that God alone saves, that's what the Old Testament teaches, and the New Testament concludes that Jesus saves through his death and resurrection, then what should our conclusion be? That Jesus is God, right? Jesus is doing the work of salvation, The same work that's described in the Old Testament by this God figure is now being done by Jesus, the Son of God, in the New Testament. So when we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, who is a Son of God, we're not talking about a lesser God or a reduced version of God. We're talking about the full work of God revealed in and through the Son. Are you tracking with me? Are we okay? Is this good? tell you're a little sleepy this morning yes all right all right the next thing we say is this word lord i believe in jesus christ god's only son our lord our lord so i want to talk with you just a little bit about this word lord so lord both in the the ancient times the old testament times certainly in the new testament times lord in some ways can be a generic word right and you've and you've seen movies like like robin hood right and they'll talk about my lord right uh, someone who oversees me someone who has authority and so we see that a little bit in the new testament that lord can be a generic word it can be used for someone who's a governor someone who's a leader someone who oversees an army right just someone who has some authority but then there are also places in scripture certainly where lord is used in a more strict religious sense And in the Old Testament, there's a couple of words. There's kind of a generic word for God, the theos, God, just meaning any sort of God. And then there's the Lord word, Yahweh, right? And so in the Old Testament, you often see those together. The Lord, our God, right? This God is our Lord. This Lord is our God. This is the one God, the God, the Father. And then as the New Testament is written, particularly the Gospels, but also Paul's letters as well, this word Lord... It gets picked up to describe Jesus, right? So Old Testament in Hebrew, New Testament in Greek, it's a little bit different word, kurios, but it's the same idea. Whereas the word Lord could be a title for a lot of different political leaders, military authorities, it's also a title that gets ascribed to Jesus. And so you hear the disciples early on, and you hear others who come to talk to Jesus, they refer to him as the Lord, the Lord. And so the New Testament is is really kind of being sneaky here in the way it's written, in the way it comes together. It's taking this Old Testament idea of the Lord our God, and it's applying it to this New Testament figure, Jesus. Jesus our Lord. And the New Testament is kind of sneaky because it also knows that the word Lord is sometimes used for these political or military leaders, right? Like Caesar would be a Lord, right? Herod would be a Lord in some sense. But the New Testament writers and those who followed Jesus early on, they said, no, 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 no. Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is our Lord, the Lord. And so in that simple phrase, in that very simple word, 
a lot of things are coming together. This Old Testament notion of the Lord our God, this Holy One who is other than us and more powerful than us, that's who Jesus is. And this more secular notion, this political figure, this authority, this one on the, on the top of the hierarchy, that's who Jesus is. Jesus is the Lord our God, and Jesus is our Lord who has authority over our lives and all that we do. And so today we read from Romans chapter 10, verse 9. This is probably one of those verses you memorized as a child, you memorized in, in youth group maybe, where Paul says, if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Jesus is Lord. That is the earliest, most simple, most basic confession of Christianity, right? If you understand nothing else about the Bible or nothing else about Jesus or what he did, if you've, if you've never heard or learned anything else, but if you know this thing, that Jesus is Lord, then that encapsulates pretty much the whole thing, right? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Lord God of the Old Testament. Jesus is the Lord of our lives and all that we do. So I want you to think about just in that politically charged environment of first century Rome, that same politically charged environment that would lead to Jesus' brutal death. What a peculiar and, and strange and challenging thing it was that these disciples began to say, no, this person, Jesus, is our Lord. Not Jewish leaders, not Roman authorities, not soldiers, not Herod. Jesus is our Lord. And so when we say the creed, when we come to church, when we sing the songs we were just singing, we're saying a version of that over and over and over again. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the one we worship, the Holy One. And Jesus is the one with authority over our lives, over and against those other authorities that we often submit ourselves to. So we believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. And then this next part you will uh, recognize from uh, Christmas and Advent season. The creed includes this important little phrase, Jesus Christ, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Now, that usually comes to you here in church at the end of November or the beginning of December, right? Beginning of Luke's Gospel specifically, we read about this unlikely story of Mary, a figure we know very little about, a figure of no real importance, who is greeted by an angel with an unlikely message that she's going to give birth to a particular child. And she says, well, I'm not married. I, I, don't, you know, I don't think that's going to happen. And, and the angel says, no, that's not a problem, right? Uh, the Holy Spirit will do it, right? It'll be the Holy Spirit's work within you that allows you to give birth to this child. And so you can go back and read the beginning of Luke's gospel. That's the beginning of the Christmas story. Mary agrees to, to, to allow this child to be, to be born to her, despite the fact that she is a virgin, that she's unmarried. And so the scripture includes this, this phrase, and in, in the, in the creed includes this phrase, uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the virgin Mary. Why is this so important? Well, at the beginning of Christianity, particularly in its first few years there, uh, people really struggled to understand uh, the nature of Jesus, right? 
why would they struggle to understand the nature of Jesus? Well, we have stories about Jesus that make Jesus seem very normal and very human. Like Jesus walks around and talks and eats and parties with the, with the tax collectors and sinners. Like Jesus is a normal person for the most part, right? But then we have these other very strange stories about Jesus where he walks around, but he, he casually heals people as he's going, or someone grabs his cloak and he says the power goes out from him. Or he feeds a few thousand people with just, uh, with just a few loaves and fish. So there's these other stories about Jesus that make him seem particularly uh, divine, right? And so the early church really struggled with this. Which, which one was it? Is, it? is it that Jesus is like human but has some superpowers? Or is it Jesus is like God but kind of looks and acts like a human sometimes, right? Do we lean more heavily into one over the other? And the church concluded, and the church has taught historically, that Jesus is fully God, fully human. Fully God, fully human. And while that may be a little difficult for us to wrap our minds around, this is what we believe, that you can't separate the two out. That Jesus is always God and always human, always both, fully, all at the same time. And so the creed includes this line, right? He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He's divine, but he was born of the Virgin Mary. He's human. And so what the creed says is you don't have to pick between a human Jesus or a godly Jesus. It's, it's both, fully God and fully human, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus is both of those things all the time. Now, that's a difficult thing to wrap our minds around. And as I was thinking this week and remembering and studying, uh, I was reminded of this, um, of this great image, this metaphor, uh, that Origen, who is an early teacher in the church, offered uh, to help us wrap our mind around Jesus, who is fully God and fully human. Now, this quote's kind of long, and I can summarize it a little bit for you, but I wanted you to, to hear it in his, in his own ancient translated words. Origen says this, Suppose there is metal iron that is capable of cold and heat. A mass of iron be kept constantly in a fire or a forge, and it receives the heat through all of its pores and veins, and the fire is continuous, and the iron is never removed from it, and it is then converted fully into the fire. Holy fire, and seeing nothing else visible within it. If one were to touch it or handle it, one would experience not just iron but fire. In this way, the soul, which like an iron in fire, has been perpetually placed in the word, perpetually in the wisdom, perpetually in God. God is in all that it does, feels, understands, and is heeded, possessed from union within the word of God. Now that's a little wordy. It's written in a very ancient time in a different language. But here's what Origen says. He says, if you have trouble understanding Jesus, who is fully God and fully human, imagine that Jesus is like a piece of iron that has been stuck into a forge and it has been heated so much so that it's fully on fire, that there is fire running through the iron, through all of its veins and pores. It's a glowing, hot piece of fire. If you touched it, it would burn your hand. And yet it is still iron, right? It's still iron, but it's uh, iron on fire. Origen says that's kind of what it's like with Jesus, right? Fully human, fully human, but placed into the forge of, of God's identity and God's fiery love and wisdom that Jesus has Godness, God power throughout him at all times. Like a piece of iron that's been heated in a forge, Jesus is totally overwhelmed with the God goodness. And so that if you touch Jesus, you touch God. 
fully God, fully human. So the creed begins in this way. I believe in God, a sort of generic thing to say, right? A lot of people believe in God. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. That's language that gets picked up in the New Testament. Maker of heaven and earth, that means the one who created everything, Genesis 1 and 2. I believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, God saves through the Messiah, the anointed one, who is the Son of God, who does the will and work of the Father, who is our Lord, the Lord, the political authority, the religious authority that shapes all of our lives, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, fully God, and who was born of the Virgin Mary, raised by Mary and Joseph, fully human. So when we confess the creed, I want you to see that though there are just a few words, though the creed is compact, it's saying a whole lot. It's saying a whole lot about who we are and what we believe. And specifically, I would remind you that as we say these words, as we sing songs that include these words, as we read the scriptures, that we're submitting ourselves to this good news over and over again each week. That this is not something we outgrow. It's not as if though you learn the creed at age 10 or 12 and you move on to other things. Instead, these are realities and truths that continue to shape our lives, really for our whole lives. And so I'm going to invite you, instead of closing my sermon in prayer, as I often do, as the band comes up, I'm going to invite you to stand as you're able. We'll join in the Apostles' Creed. It'll be on the screen. It's also printed there on the order of worship in the front or on the inside. Please go ahead and stand. Yes, I was talking to you. There we go. That's good. And we'll join in the creed together as it's printed on the screen or printed in your bulletin. So as you are able, let us say together with one voice, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparacool.org. May God bless you this week.